0: This morning we're into our second week of a new series simply entitled, But First, Jesus. And the intent of this series is to take last Sunday, the end of 2017, it was New Year's Eve day. Some of you were still home recovering from the eggnog, evidently, and you missed it. Uh, But I'm glad you're back today. Uh, But my point is, we want to launch this year Making sure Jesus is first in every area of our lives. And what we're doing is we're sending out daily little devotional videos Monday through Friday, five days a week. How many have been getting those on your email list? You've been getting them through email. If you're not on our email list, you need to get signed up, go to the Connection Center, get your name on the list. You'll start receiving those videos five days a week. Three or four minutes, just little nuggets from Scripture Things to encourage us as we make sure Jesus is first in our lives and see his blessing. So we started this series last week, but first, Jesus. And what we're doing is we're looking at the transformation that happened in the life of one of Jesus' disciples, a man who was known as Peter. Scripture calls this Simon, calls him Simon Peter, and then we usually refer to him simply as Peter, a disciple of Jesus. And what we're doing is we're talking about his life, and I, I don't want to go back and reteach what I taught last week. You can go back and see it online. And, and by the way, each Sunday this, this month sets up the next Sunday. So what, I'm, what I taught last week sets up today. What I teach today will set up where we go next week. So you, if you weren't here last week, you might want to go online and watch last week's message because it really does set up what we're talking about. But Peter had somewhat of an erratic lifestyle when you look at his walk with Jesus, at least in his early days. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, uh, Peter was one of the disciples who was usually the first to speak up. He always had an answer. Sometimes it was the wrong answer, but he had an answer, and some of us know about that. Sometimes he was quick to speak and a little bit slow to think. It's interesting, but P- Peter, you know, his walk with Christ throughout Jesus' ministry was a little bit of a roller coaster. You know, on one hand, he can be in the middle of a conversation making this great statement and Jesus is commending him. And then just a couple minutes later, in the same conversation, Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, you know, sometimes he was right, sometimes he was wrong, but he was never in doubt. He was one of those kind of guys, you know. Always had something to say quickly. But here's the point. Peter, who had this bit of a tempestuous roller coaster ride with Jesus... On the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had ascended and the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter stands up, shares an amazing message, shows from Scripture that Jesus is the Christ, and in one day, 3,000 people believe on Jesus and are baptized. And suddenly, a change happens in the life of Peter, where this unstable fisherman becomes a rock in the church of Jesus Christ. So what happened to Peter? What was it that changed him? I mean, his personality didn't change. But what was it that changed inside of Peter that stabilized him and made him a rock upon which Jesus could stack people? What happened? See, we want to study this because if Jesus can change the life of Peter and stabilize him, I think he can do it for us as well. And if Jesus can take an unstable, rough fisherman and make him a fisher of men, I think he can do the same thing in my life and in your life. So we want to learn. So what we did last week and what we'll be doing every Sunday this month, we're going to be looking at the things that happened that changed the life of Peter. Last week, we talked about an encounter with Jesus. And I want to take just two minutes to walk you through what we talked about last week as Jesus was going to the cross Peter was the one who spoke up and said it doesn't matter if everybody else betrays you and runs away I will never forsake you I will die if needs be just a few hours later when Jesus is led to the cross three times Peter denies he even knows Jesus walks away from his commitment he's dejected Jesus is crucified. He's down and out. He's feeling bad about himself. He's embarrassed. He's at a low point of life. But then Jesus, three days later, is raised from the dead. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, the angel at the tomb said to the women, go tell the disciples to go to Galilee and Jesus will meet them there. Oh, and be sure and tell Peter also. You see, Jesus through these angels, extended an invitation to a frustrated, embarrassed, disappointed disciple who felt like he totally messed it up and lost his place with God. Jesus extended an invitation and said, make sure you reach out to Peter, even at his lowest moment, which tells us no matter what our mistakes might be, God does not give up on us. But then the second part of last week's message is after that invitation, Peter has a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus initiates it. And you can go back and hear the message, but three times Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? There's a lot in the message, and like I said, you need to go back and listen to it. But ultimately what it came down to, Jesus was asking Peter, what is my place in your life? What's my place in your heart? What's my place in your life? Who am I to you? What do I mean to you? Where do I come in the order of priorities in your life? The change in the life of Peter began when he decided once and for all, I'm going to put Jesus first and I'm going to follow him. Doesn't matter what comes my way. I am going to follow Jesus. He'll be first in my life. It began a a real metamorphosis in the life of Peter. Today, I want to look at a second thing that happened in the life of Peter that I think began to feed into this transformation. So, if you would, look at Acts chapter 1. And I want to begin to share this second message today in this series about making Jesus first. I want to ask you the question, did you know God has a kingdom Let's look at it from Scripture. Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, pause here a moment. Let me set this up. Luke is writing what we call the book of Acts or the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's the history of the early church. But it's the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. And when he wrote the Gospel of Luke, he wrote it and he sent it to a man whose name was Theophilus. And he wanted him to know about the life and the ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, now he's writing the same man, Theophilus. There's his name right there on the screen. And he wants him to know what happened after Jesus ascended to the Father as the church was being established. And he gives him the history of the early church. So look at verse 1. Of all the things that Jesus began both to do and to teach, verse 2 until the day in which he was taken up or his ascension. After he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. In verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Now pause here again just a moment because it's really important you understand this. The disciples had pretty much lived with Jesus for about three years they'd walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus they'd seen the miracles they'd been involved in the ministry Jesus was teaching them how to do ministry for three years nobody knows Jesus better than these disciples but if you go back and study it from scripture when Jesus died these guys went into all kinds of confusion they didn't know what to do Jesus had talked about his death on several occasions. He talked about being raised from the dead, but it never registered with them. And listen real closely. It went in one ear, it went out the other, because they had their own ideas about what Jesus was going to do while he was here. They never grasped it. And it's really interesting if you go back and and if you're a Bible scholar or you like to study, go back and look at the last chapter in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just look at the account of what happened. When Jesus was put in the tomb, they thought, it's over. He's dead. All of the dreams we had, all we thought Jesus was going to be and do, it's over with. It's done. Remember on that first Easter morning when the women went to the tomb and the angel is there. He says, go tell the disciples he's alive. He'll meet him in Galilee. Jesus even appears to Mary with those women. And they go back and they say, Jesus is alive. Mary says, I've seen him. An angel told us he's alive. And scripture says, they did not believe. Even the disciples, they did not believe. All four of the Gospels has accounts in there of how they didn't believe, they couldn't believe. Thomas said, man, if I can't see the prince in his hands and put my finger in there and put my fist into his side where they thrust that spear, I'll never believe. These guys could not believe that it happened because they never understood what Jesus was talking about when he talked about kingdom. The kingdom of God. So we see it here in verse 3. It says, He presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible or undeniable proofs. Now, let me share one more thing before we move forward. This, this is information, but it's something to think about. These apostles, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, these 12 specifically, some of them stayed in Israel For all of their lives pretty much but several of them went to other parts of the world and every one of these guys was martyred because of his faith in Jesus every one of them died as a martyr for the church because of the story they told about Jesus now here's the amazing thing Jesus goes to the cross he dies they don't believe yeah it's over with it's done 40 days later, they start going into all the parts of the earth preaching that Jesus died, he was raised from the dead, he ascended back to the Father. Why? Because in that 40-day period from the resurrection until the time that Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus spent time with his disciples convincing them who he was and what he had come to do. And they went in different directions by themselves to the uttermost parts of the earth and died and never changed their story. Why? Because they'd seen Jesus and he had proven to them he was alive. They knew it. They could not deny the facts. Now, let's read on from here. Being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We're going to start here today, and we're going to look at two other passages of Scripture. But I want to do some teaching today that I think is fundamental for us really experiencing a life transformation. We have to understand the importance of God's kingdom in our own lives. The disciples struggled with it. I'll get into that more later. They didn't understand it. They couldn't get their hearts and their minds around it because they had their preconceived ideas of what Jesus had come to do. But here's what happened. When Jesus was raised from the dead, on different occasions he was with his disciples and he spent his time with them teaching about the kingdom and the reign of God in their lives. Interesting. Interesting. Some of us would sit down and make a list of what might have happened to Peter. Some of us would never think about that. You see, this wasn't a new topic. It wasn't something new. It's not as if Jesus hadn't talked about this before. It's not a new subject. He's talked and talked and talked about the kingdom of God. If you go back and read it, at least 50-some times in the Gospels, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. 30 times or so, he talked about the kingdom of heaven over and over and over again. And those phrases are interchangeable. But they did not understand what he was trying to teach them about the future reign of Christ in their lives. So Jesus spends time unlocking these mysteries to help them understand the importance of God's kingdom. If it was important for the disciples to understand the kingdom of God 2,000 years ago, it's important for you and me today to understand the kingdom of God. God has a kingdom. His followers could not understand it because when you spoke of kingdom, the only thing they understood were the kingdoms of the world that they lived in and they saw on an everyday basis. Jesus said kingdom, they thought about the Romans. Jesus said kingdom, they thought about the nation of Israel. It was a national thing. And the entire nation of Israel was consumed with the idea that there was a kingdom coming, that God was going to send a king, a Messiah who would be their liberator. And he would break off the Roman rule and he would usher in this new kingdom. And suddenly God would rule the entire earth from the nation of Israel. And they were so consumed with it that they were looking for a liberator from Rome and they never understood. First of all, Jesus came to liberate us from our sins. And to establish his rule in our lives. Everybody in Israel was looking for a liberator. Jesus came to be a savior. It's really interesting if you read on down in chapter 1 of Acts, around verse 6. You know, Jesus has been with them for 40 days. He's about to ascend. And he's given them last instructions. And one of them speaks up and says, well, what about the kingdom? Are you going to establish the kingdom now? What about the kingdom? Jesus says, don't worry about that. That's in the Father's hands. You simply accept the working of the Holy Spirit in your own lives and let God do what he's trying to do. You see, Jesus continued teaching them about how the kingdom of God operates. And as I understand it, Jesus probably spent those 40 days helping them understand what he'd already been talking about for three years. But suddenly, it began to unfold. It began to open up. Now, look at Luke chapter 17. I'm going to share three basic thoughts with you today. Number one, God has a kingdom. God has a kingdom. It's often misunderstood because we tend to see kingdom through natural eyes. Number two, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Everybody say spiritual kingdom. Kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Let's look at Luke chapter 17. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the verses on the screen. Luke 17, verse number 20. Now, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come... Now, now pause here a moment. The Pharisees, these aren't followers of Jesus... These are Jewish religious leaders. And so they come to Jesus and they say, okay, if you're the king, then when's the kingdom coming? Everybody in Israel wanted to know about this kingdom and this liberator. Jesus answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Now think about that. You won't look and see it coming. Notice what he says in verse 21. Nor will they say, see here, here's the kingdom. Or see there, there's the kingdom. Jesus says, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Some translations say the kingdom of God is among you or among us. Some translations say the kingdom of God is here among us now. That's what Jesus said. So the first thing is God has a kingdom, but it's not what you think. Number two, God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom ruled by the Spirit of God. And here's what Jesus said. It doesn't come by observation. Now let me illustrate this to you. You can go to the city that you live in, Temecula, Murrieta, um, Wildemar, um, wherever you might live, your local city, you can go down to your city hall and you can see evidence of a kingdom that exists here, either a city, a county, a state, or the United States of America. How many have been down to a city office lately? or you driven past it and you know it's there? One, two, 17. Okay, we're getting there. Give me a bobblehead, okay? There's evidence all over our city that some kind of government exists. Uh, Let me put it this way. How many of you get a little bit anxious anytime you get a letter from the government that you're not expecting? That's right, because you know, how many of you, isn't it funny, you never get a letter from the government that says, oh, you're a great citizen, we just want you to know how proud, and we're going to give you some money back because we're so proud of you. That just doesn't happen. When you hear from the government, it's rarely good news. But here's the thing. Jesus said you think of government in one way and as a result you're misunderstanding the kingdom of God because it's not in a building here and it's not in a building there and you don't see evidence of it here and you don't see evidence of it there. But it doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is spiritual and the kingdom of God is already here with you. That's what Jesus said. That's what he said. The problem is, everybody smile at me. The problem is the kingdom of God is here. It's just a lot of us don't know it. A lot of us aren't aware of it. And as a result, because we're not aware of the kingdom and the working of God in our lives, we spend our lives living a natural life, living by natural laws, and we're trying to get spiritual results from natural laws, and it's just not working out right. And so we put together religious orders and religious organizations, and this group's got nine laws, but this one's only got six, and this one's got 17 because they're more spiritual, and this one goes on and on and on forever, and this one's got so many legalisms that you can't even move without sinning. And it reaches the place where all we're trying to do is serve God in the flesh, and we miss out on the spiritual aspect of the kingdom of God. Let me give you a couple of illustrations real quickly of this. How many of you, and I don't need a show of hands, just think about it. How many of you, from time to time, you say, oh, I really have a need and I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask God to do something for me, but... I just don't know if I really deserve this and he may not answer this prayer because I don't deserve it. I haven't really lived the way. I haven't been praying and I haven't been reading my Bible and as a result, you know, I haven't been talking to God much and I really doubt that God's going to answer my prayer. You know what that is? That's works. That's trying to deserve. Do I deserve the blessings of God? Can I tell you something? You can never deserve the blessings of God but they're free to us by grace. But if we're trying to deserve them, we are in the flesh trying to do natural things when God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Here's what Jesus said about it. Whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Because it's a kingdom of faith. It's a kingdom of the Spirit. Let that sink in just a moment. I want want that to really be driven home in your heart by the spirit of god it's not about what i deserve it's of what jesus has brought into my life you see everything that happens in our relationship with god everything 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 it happens this way it's by grace extended to us and through faith we reach up and receive it from salvation all the way through it's by grace through faith by grace through faith you see it all throughout scripture by grace Through faith, God extends things to us. Some of us are still trying to earn and deserve and pay for things that Jesus paid for on the cross. Friend, stop trying to do in the flesh what Jesus already did on the cross and accept the working of God's Spirit in your life. It's a spiritual kingdom. If God's made promises to you, believe Him and receive it. Another example, and this applies to all of us, People spend more time worrying about money and finances and provision than they do anything else. And yet God's made promises about it. And so God says, here's what you need to do. Give and it shall be given unto you. You see, we've got these kingdom principles of sowing and reaping. But it's amazing how many believers say, "Ah, oh, I don't want to get into that stuff about sowing and reaping. That's just all selfishness. Oh, God, I need this and I need this and I need this and I need this. Don't talk to me about sowing and reaping. That's all selfishness. And we ignore spiritual promise, principles, and then in the flesh we're trying to figure out, well, how do I get this, and how do I get this, and how do I get this? When the Father has promised, it's my good will, my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And yet we are running around, wearing ourselves out, trying to do for ourselves things that God wants to do for us. Hello? Hello? I can go through Scripture all day and show you all kinds of examples. The kingdom of God, number two, is a spiritual kingdom. Therefore, we have to be spiritually sensitive to what God is trying to do in our lives. Now, the third thing I want to show you, one more verse. Go to, uh, to Isaiah chapter 9. Back in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9. Now remember, everything we do this month... It's one step towards the next step. Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. Jesus spent 40 days, a certain part of 40 days, with his disciples, opening up their understanding to how the kingdom of God works. It's a spiritual kingdom. Now, look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. These are scriptures that we read at Christmas time. You don't hardly ever hear them the rest of the year, but we read them at Christmas time because it talks about the coming of Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. How many of you know that sounds real Christmassy, okay? I think we read that at Christmas Eve service, okay? That's right there. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Notice what it says next. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, that doesn't sound so Christmassy, does it? Not that line. Now, let's start talking about government. The government will be upon the shoulders of that babe who was born in that manger. The government of what? The government of the kingdom of God. I'll keep reading. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, we, we can do teaching on each one of those names. But he wants to be all those things as the head of this government. Now, verse 7 Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. No end to it. Now, that doesn't sound real Christmassy, okay? So maybe we can get something else here. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. Forever. See, God says, I'm going to send my son and the government of this kingdom will be upon his shoulders. And here's the good news. Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. In other words, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. His provision is more and more and more and more and more. As the kingdom grows, he's got more and more and more to pour into the kingdom. And then the last part of verse 7 says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Did you know that God is zealous about pouring His blessings and His kingdom into your life? God gets excited about that. You know, we get so down. Oh, I just wish God would bless me. Oh, I just don't know if God would. Oh, I wish He would. But and I'm struggling with all of these concerns for the future and I don't know about this. Oh, I wonder if God's concerned. Are you kidding me? He's got zeal for what you're looking into. He's zealous for it. He wants to pour blessing into our lives, but we have to understand it's a part of His kingdom that He wants to pour into our lives. So, what is a kingdom? What is a kingdom? Well, very simply, a kingdom is an area, a territory over which a king rules. And does that make sense to everybody here? If that doesn't make sense, shake your head no. A kingdom is an area over which a king rules. Okay, that makes sense. So what's he saying? He's saying that his son will rule over everything that is placed under his rule and under his care. So, what he's saying to me is, Gary, you need to stop living by natural laws in the flesh, in the natural man, and you need to step into this spiritual kingdom and start living by my laws and let Jesus rule over every area of your life because there's some areas of your life Jesus can do a better job than you are. I think I got about 75% participation there. There are areas of my life that God can do a better job with than I can do. So I need to let him rule over me. So here's the point. Peter, number one, has this encounter with Jesus. And it's all about making sure Jesus is where he needs to be. On the throne of Peter's heart. First in Peter's life. The next thing that happens is, over this 40-day period with the other disciples, Jesus begins to help them understand, I have a spiritual kingdom. The Spirit of God is coming. The Spirit's going to be poured upon your lives. But there's a kingdom that's coming that is ruled by spiritual laws. And everything that you will put under my reign and my authority, I will pour my blessing upon. You know what? You need to start praying God's blessing over your family. You need to start praying God's blessing over your finances. You need to start praying God's blessing over your home and your neighbors. You need to start claiming God's blessing in every area of your life. And then you need to open your life and say, God, do what only you can do in these areas. And that doesn't mean we're not stewards. It doesn't mean we lose control. It means we ask the king to show us how to run our lives, how his kingdom is supposed to work in our lives. Because God wants to pour the blessing of his kingdom into our lives. So what is a kingdom? It's an area over which the king rules. There's an interesting story in Luke's gospel, the last chapter, where Jesus has been raised from the dead. And I've got to illustrate this to you because it's, for years it's just been so prominent in my mind. But the last few weeks it's really begun to stir inside of me. There's these two disciples. They weren't a part of the 12 disciples, but nevertheless, they were disciples of Jesus, followers. There's these two disciples walking down the road. They don't know that Jesus is alive yet, and they're walking down the road talking about all that's happened, the mock trial, the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, here it is three or four days later. They don't even know what's going on. And all of a sudden, as they're walking down the road, Jesus just shows up beside them and starts walking with them, saying, hey, guys, what's going on? And they don't even know it's Jesus. They don't recognize, you know, Jesus is dead. So they're walking, and they're, hey guys, what's happening? And they said, what's happening? Are you the only guy in town that doesn't know what's happening? All of Jerusalem's in an uproar over Jesus. Really, what happened? You don't know what happened? Man, these evil rulers of our nation, they took Jesus and crucified him and killed him. He was a prophet of God. He was a good man. He was sent by God and they have killed him. Do you not know about this? And Jesus is just walking around, you know, listening to this all this stuff. And, and finally in the conversation, Jesus begins to rebuke them. He says, man, why are your hearts so hardened? Please hear me this morning. Jesus said, why does your heart not accept what I've been trying to teach you for three years about the kingdom of God. And it says that Jesus walked through the Old Testament scriptures and helped them understand that Jesus had to come and suffer, he had to lay down his life for us. He had to pay the price for our sins to bring us into the family and kingdom of God, and that was why he came and Jesus would be raised from the dead. And then later on after this walk down the road, they come to one of the houses. They sit down and they have a meal and after they break bread, all of a sudden Jesus just disappears. And it's like, whoa. And what it says is, Jesus opened up their understanding of who he was. We need to have our understanding opened, not as to the historical Jesus, not who he was back then, but we need to have our understanding open as to who Jesus is today and what he wants to accomplish in our lives. Because he wants to pour his rule and his kingdom into every area of our lives. I believe Peter began to experience that. And he began to understand, oh, this is what Jesus meant about the kingdom. And this is what Jesus meant about the kingdom. God wants to open up our understanding that our hearts will burn every time we open up his word. Wow, wow, there's another principle of the kingdom of God. That's why we're doing these videos five days a week. That's why we're teaching this on Sunday because we want to step into the kingdom of God to the extent that God is ruling over every aspect, not only of our church, but of our individual lives. And we see him bless everything. That's what he wants to do. We want to receive that. So let me talk to you as I finish this message. Let me talk to you a little bit about the kingdom of God. Let's understand the concept of the kingdom. A kingdom is ruled by a king. How many get that? Okay, a king, dumb. A king rules over the king, dumb. Okay, makes sense. We in America have a hard time with this because we don't live in a kingdom. We don't have a king. Now, I I know when our guy doesn't get elected, all of a sudden the other guy's a Nazi and he's this and he's that and he's other. We, We call our politicians and leaders all kinds of things. But I want you to listen to me. In America, we struggle with the concept of the kingdom of God because we live in a nation where we're told everybody's vote is just as important as everybody else's vote. Your voice is just as important as everybody else's voice. So we live in this kingdom. We think, I don't care what you think. I'm going to cast a vote that cancels out your vote because my voice is just as important as yours. We live in this. We deal with it every day. But all of a sudden, we step into the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom, nobody's voice matters except the voice of the king. a lot of us Christians struggle because we get in relationship with God and we think it's a democracy. Okay, my job is to tell you what to do and your job is to do what I want you to do. You're my representative with the Father, so I will tell you what to do and then you need to do it. And we miss the fact that we need to be listening to the king instead of expecting the king to listen to us. Some of you, I, I know, some of you probably this last week, you tweeted something really mean about some politician. If you're in the kingdom of God, you don't want to be tweeting bad things about Jesus and the way he's running things because he knows what he's doing. This is good this morning. Some of you are saying, well, i tell you what, I'll be glad when these four years are up so we can get that guy out of office. And some of you be saying, Boy, I'm glad this guy's in office because for eight years we had that other guy in office. Can I tell you something? I vote. I have my opinions. But when it comes down to the big picture, it doesn't matter because Jesus rules my life. He's my king. And I don't care what all the politicians do. The plan of God is still rolling along just fine. See, as a matter of fact, some of you haven't done this yet. You need to transfer your citizenship to heaven is what you need to do. Scripture says we are citizens of heaven. You know what? I live in America. It's my birthplace, but ultimately my citizenship is in heaven. When God's finished with me here, I'm going home. Well, how in the world is some antichrist going to come along and set up his kingdom with all the Christians on earth? I'll tell you how he's going to do it because most of us have got 666 written all over our brains already because we trust the government of America to be our source in life. God does not want the government to be your source. He wants his king and his government to be your source. Amen. Send that off to Bernie Sanders and see what he thinks. That's that's the problem. Well, uh, uh, government should work this way. Kingdom should work this way. Now, here's how it begins. A kingdom has a king, and the king makes the decisions, and he knows what he's doing. If you're in the kingdom of God, trust the king. He knows what he's doing. And let me give you a couple more things, now that I've made everybody mad at me. A kingdom takes responsibility for the welfare of its citizens. The kingdom takes responsibility for the welfare of its citizens. How many of you are absolutely convinced that when you stop working, there's going to be enough money there for the government to take care of you the rest of your life and you can live any way you want to live? If so, I want to sell you some property while you've got money right now, while while there's no recession in place. If you're going to be trusting somebody, you need to have your trust in Jesus. He wants to be your source. The government of his kingdom is upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government and peace, there is no end. I'm going to tell you something, earthly governments cannot promise that to its people, but Jesus can and he has and he will do what he said he will do if we will learn to trust him. Trust him. And you see it all throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus just keeps promising, I'll take care of my people. I'll take care of my people. Trust me. I'll take care of my people. Trust me. I'll take care of you. Trust me. One of the devotions you're going to receive in a few days comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said, don't worry about food, clothing, and shelter. Just don't worry about that. Put me first. Don't worry about the rest of it. And some of us are sick. Sick, physically, mentally, emotionally sick. Worrying about stuff that Jesus said he'd take care of. Stop worrying about stuff you can't fix and let Jesus be the Lord of your life because the king will take care of the provision in the kingdom. He'll do it. My time is gone, but my message isn't. How about this one? A kingdom takes its... Pardon me. A kingdom taxes its citizens to fund its operations. Not God's kingdom. (laughs) Some of you were worried about that, weren't you? God never runs out. If he needs it, he just speaks it into existence. We need to trust him. He's got provision. You cannot bankrupt heaven. All of us together can't bankrupt heaven. Last thing. A kingdom has laws that govern the kingdom. I was telling first service, you know, if you get out on the freeways today, sometimes you wonder what happened to the laws. What, you, have you been on the 15 freeway lately? What is the speed limit? 90, 95? I, I mean, I remember years ago when it was illegal to drive on the shoulders at 95 miles an hour. It's not anymore. Sometimes I felt like I'm in a NASCAR movie, you know. I'm in there. It's, it's not about driving, it's about drafting. How close can you get to the guy in front of you? Driving 90, you know, you sit there on the bumper. Our society more and more is becoming a lawless society. We just ignore laws we don't like. God's kingdom has laws and they work. They work. For example, John 15 7. I'm finishing right now. John 15 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You'll ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. He said, learn the laws of the kingdom. Learn how this works. Let them abide in you. You ask what you will, God will give it to you. Well, now I believe, yeah, I know you believe a lot of things, but above all else, you need to believe the word of God. I know as the laws of the kingdom shape my life, I stop asking for stupid stuff. I've stopped asking God for the new Corvette. I started asking my wife for it. (laughs) I'm going to have to start begging, I guess, next. But anyway, the point is, let's get focused on the kingdom and His provision. And let him begin to rule our lives and do all the good things he's promised to do for us. Evidently, as I close this morning, evidently Peter began to get this. Peter began to understand the principle of the kingdom of God ruling his life. Because here's what he said in Second or First Peter chapter 2. He said, we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood a holy nation. We're God's own special people. And he wants us to declare his praises throughout all the earth because he called us out of darkness into his light. We once were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We are God's people living in his kingdom. He understood it. Second Peter chapter 1, he said this. He said, God has given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by those promises we might become partakers of his divine nature. What's he talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of God ruling our lives. As we close this morning, I want to ask you, who's sitting on the throne of your heart? Is Jesus the king of your life? Are you expecting the kingdom to come? By whose laws are you living? Spiritual laws or natural laws? Who do you trust to meet your needs? Somebody? The government? Or the king of God's kingdom? Bow your heads this morning. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray this morning that you would open up the eyes of our understanding and help us to look beyond natural things and natural government And help us to begin to understand in our hearts things that pertain to the kingdom of God. Father, this message today is not for one or for two. It's for every one of us because we're your children. We're in your kingdom and we want to learn the principles of your kingdom. We want to put them to work in our lives and see you bless us and pour all of your provision into our lives. And Father, I pray for anybody in this building right now who might not be in relationship with you, who's never opened their heart, never accepted the Lordship of Christ in their own lives. God, knock on the door of hearts right now. Give us an opportunity to accept you. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you're here today and maybe you've never opened your heart to God. Maybe you've never opened up that door and said, God, I need you in my life. God extends his grace. He extends his kingdom and his blessing to you. But it has to be received. We receive it by faith. Simple words open the door of our heart and we welcome God into our lives. We call it prayer, but it's just communication. It's just words. God loves you so much, he put his own son on a cross to pay for your sins. Open up your heart to come into his kingdom and experience him as a child of God. But we have to receive it just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. All it is is just simple words of faith that will open the door and allow God to begin to work in your life. I'm going to ask everybody here to pray this prayer with me. If you're a believer already, I want you to pray it out loud. It will help those around you. You don't have to yell and scream the words, but just speak them with me right now. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Pray these words. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into all of my life. I want your kingdom and I want your provision. I believe Jesus is the son of God. He died for my sins. He was raised from the dead. He's paid for my mistakes. Jesus is now my savior. I will learn your ways. I will walk with you. And I will make Jesus the Lord of my life. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, it's just the beginning of an amazing journey, knowing God for yourself, building a relationship with him. I've got a little tool I want to give you called The Next Seven Days. It's a simple little booklet with just a little bit of reading for each of the next seven days this week. It'll help you understand more of God's plan and provision for your lives and help you start building that relationship with God. We want to give it to you. When service is over, there'll be prayer teams here at the front of the building. They're here to pray with anyone about any need. But if you just walk down to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you, no strings attached. If you've got questions, they can answer questions. If you need prayer for something else, they're glad to pray with you. But above all else, we want to give this to you and help you start building relationship with God. That prayer you just prayed is not the end. It's just the beginning. Then, if you're in a really big rush today, as you exit the building through the glass doors in the foyer, right in the middle, there's a counter set up there with a big sign that says the next seven days. They can give you the same booklet there. If you're in a big rush, you can stop by there and ask for it again. No strings attached. We simply want to help you get started walking with God. God bless you for making that decision today. Can we put our hands together and welcome new believers into God's family? God bless you.